morning. Well, welcome. Um, as if you have a Bible, um, grab your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter two. And um, as you're turning there to Revelation two, um, I'm just going to share. We had a, an elders meeting last week, and uh, one of the things that we did at our elders meeting is we just talked about some questions. Um, I, I kind of made uh, the elders kind of feel like they were in elementary school a little bit. Uh, the first thing that I did was, you know, I told them to take out paper and a pen and write some things down. And, and the first thing that I had them write down is, what would you want our church to be known for? Like, what, what would you want our church to, to be known for? That was the, the first thing. Um, the second thing is, what would, um, what would you want to be distinct about our church? doesn't mean that we're unique, that there's no other church that uh, is doing these things, but what are some things that are distinct? And, and then what does that look like? And that was more the painting the picture type of thing. What does, that, what does that look like? And I'll tell you that as we began to share and we began to go around the table and talk about these things, I was so blessed that, that I felt like we were on the same page. And I want to tell you that, that it was that we want to be true to scripture. We want to love Jesus we want to be gracious. We want people to come in and feel welcomed and, and loved. We, we want to make sure that we're reaching out beyond the walls of our church. We want to have forgiveness for one another. Uh, we want to treat each other with respect and grace. We want to be able to deal with conflict in a godly way. Uh, we want every generation to feel like every generation is important to one another. So that older people with younger people with kids and, and youth and middle age and, and college age and everyone in between realizes that we're all part of a body of Christ. We wanted to realize that we're part of something that is bigger than us so that God has blessed us to reach out in mission to others as well. And as we did that, um, I just want to let you know in the next few weeks, we're just going to start sharing some of those things. If you're not on the email list for the next probably four to five weeks, Every Wednesday, I'm going to send out an email about some of the things that we talked about that are particular to what God has put on our hearts and what we would desire to see. And so um, I share that with you because this morning, I think that the message is absolutely crucial for us, um, not only for Regeneration Church, but for the body of Christ in, in the day and age in which we live. And so I want to begin with this question. Should Christians be tolerant? Okay. Now, I, I don't, don't answer out loud, right? Because there's going to be all these answers. There's these things. Isn't, doesn't that word explode in your mind? Just because in our, it's like, lo, that's loaded. Loaded questions. I'm dealing with loaded stuff today. That's why I'm just praying, God, please help me to be sensitive to your spirit and, and help me to uh, speak the truth in love. The question, should Christians be tolerant? I guess that depends on what tolerance means. Okay, I, I think that that depends on what you mean by tolerance. We have to define terms to avoid confusion. And sometimes we could use the same word, but have different definitions. Just kind of like, you know, just imagine that in relationships, sometimes, you know, a person will say to another person, I love you. What the person hears may not be what the person means. All right, of a, you know, some young guy telling this young girl, hey, I love you. In her mind, that could mean something totally different than what he means. So we're going to get into that uh, this morning. The church of Thyatira, uh, the message is entitled Tolerance, Love, and Discernment. 
Now, if you remember going through the churches, the seven churches of Revelation, they're, they're in a circuit. And uh, as, as Jesus is addressing each one of these churches, and, and uh, he speaks to these churches, which were actual real historical churches in time, they also speak to every church that has characteristics of these things. But then it says at the end of these messages, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the message to these churches is, is for them, but it's also for our church. It's also for you and me as individuals. If I would have ears to hear what the Spirit says to us. The city of Thyatira. Um, just a real quick background on, on Thyatira was it was actually the smallest of all of the churches that um, Jesus addresses here in the book of Revelation. Um, smallest church, but it received the longest letter. Okay, this is the longest letter in Revelation 2 and 3 when, you know, to the angel of the church of Thyatira. Um, they had no widespread persecution. Uh, this uh, city, unlike other cities, if you look, um, it had no stadiums. You know, we, uh, as I've been showing pictures of these other cities, there were sometimes coliseums, uh, sometimes magnificent temples. This, this place was, was smaller, uh, very simple. But let me tell you what Thyatira was. Thyatira was uh, a working city. They were all about business and they were all about work. In fact, in the book of Acts, we know that there was a, a woman named Lydia who was a seller of purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. In Thyatira, they had these guilds. And we don't have guilds the same way that they had guilds. The closest thing I, I can think of is an association or a union. You know, electrical workers union, uh, carpenters union. But now add to the union somewhat of a club atmosphere where you had to do certain things and say certain things. There were certain codes in order to be a part of the club. Okay, they, they had to get into it. There were some dues that were expected, and they also had a mascot, which was actually a false god. So every guild would have their own idolatrous god that they would worship. You know, the god of, of uh, fire, the god of bronze, the god of fertility, the god, whatever these gods were, they had their own god that they would worship. Um, I, I think about Thyatira, like a blue-collar working city, kind of like Detroit in the 1950s. You know, if you lived in Detroit, what did you do for a living, probably? You're an auto worker, okay? You probably were a, a mechanic or an engineer, some, some type of thing like that. I think of Pittsburgh and the steel mills or West Virginia and the coal mines or, or Texas and oil. And they had many guilds. In fact, more than any other city, they had professional guilds and organizations. They had the Bankers Guild. They had um, the Carpenters Guild. So within this city, you see these tanners, blacksmiths, uh, you know, seamstresses. Um, they had a mix of not only their professionalism, but their professionalism was mixed with some worship. So when they would get together at their meetings, these kind of you know, closed meetings, one thing that would happen is they would have worship according to their God, their idol that they were worshiping. And many times the worship of these false gods would end up in like a sexual type of, of thing because it was almost like it was their way of saying to these gods, we want your blessing we want to reproduce it's kind of crazy right 
All right, it is, it's crazy. And you know what's crazy is that there's stuff like that today. There, there's just as crazy as things were then, there's just as crazy as stuff uh, now. The church of Thyatira, also there are some historians and Bible scholars that believe that it kind of is representative of a certain era of church history beginning right around AD 600, the Dark Ages. There was the merging of paganism within the church and, and a lot of heresy that was coming in. So remember this, because when we read in Revelation 2, verses 18 through 29, Jesus is going to address this particular church. And when he addresses each of the churches, he reveals a part of himself that that church is either neglected or that that church needs. Okay, so pick up your Bible, read with me, and then we're just going to unpack this. Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse 18. It says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, your love, your service, your faithfulness and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more or greater than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow or you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit sexual immorality, and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts and will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not hold to this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, the message to the church of Thyatira. This is not only the, the longest of these letters, but it's also probably the most difficult to understand. There's some things in there. There's some apocalyptic language that Jesus is using here. But the first thing I want to address is that, remember, it's to the angel of the church in Thyatira who was to give the message to the church, and then that church would circulate that message so that all the churches would read the message that was given to the other churches. So these things says the son of God. Jesus reveals himself to the church of Thyatira here as the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and has feet like fine brass or bronze. Now, this is not um, the flowy, blonde haired, blue eyed Jesus that you see depicted on some paintings. You know, kind of like this, this really fair, nice gentle this is when john sees jesus and the way that jesus describes himself or he appears to this church it's with the one with eyes like flaming fire i don't know if that freaks you out that freaks me out 
If I saw Jesus and he's looking at me and his eyes are like burning and there's fire coming. I mean, if you've seen um, some of the superhero movies, they kind of do a good job of helping us to imagine this. That's the Jesus that is being depicted right here. And it says he has feet of, of brass or of bronze. In the book of Daniel, because if you're going to understand the book of Revelation, you have to read the other parts of the Bible, the Old Testament, especially the prophets. Jesus is described in those other books the same way. In contrast to having feet of clay, Jesus has feet of, of brass. Now, feet of clay re- represents this weakness or humanity. But yet, Jesus, what he's saying here is he is so solid that what he says stands. Now, political season. You ever watch the commercials or the debates of what these people say, and then they go back three years, and then they show another clip of what they said three years ago. You realize three years ago you said this, but now you're saying that. Okay, feet of clay. And, and all of us as human beings, we, none of us is perfect there's none of us that everything that you've ever said is true, okay? And, and we change, but Jesus doesn't. What his judgments are, we could trust them because they're sure and they are steadfast. And so this is how Jesus describes himself. And then what he does is he commends the church. I love how Jesus, even if there's a church that is just messed up, that he commends what is going well first. I think we could learn from that. He's so gracious. He says, I know your works. This was a church that was doing things for God. They were doing things. They were involved in action, not just belief that was in their minds, but it, it resulted in them doing things because of their belief system. So that's a good thing, right? So he says, I know your love. Um, I just think of the the love that that they must have had that showed that they were a loving church. In fact, so loving that you could just come in however you are with whatever belief system, so loving. Sometimes people had a different belief system and they would love them. So loving that they could actually go overboard sometimes and allow things to be taught that are not truth. Now, remember this. We are, scripturally, to speak the truth in what? In love. Okay, they had the the love part, but the speaking truth part they were struggling with. And we're going to look at that. But, you know, they had love. They, They did things. They were probably a very generous group, a very generous church, probably feeding, probably helping, probably making an impact in the community. There was service ingrained in them, which is a good thing. They were faithful. There's a blessing. There is such a blessing with faithfulness. When when there's someone that is faithful and you just know when they say they're going to do something, they're going to do it. Those people are golden, aren't they? They just show up. They just keep teaching the kids. They just keep setting things up in hospitality. They just, if, if, if you have a bunch of people and you say, hey, I need some help moving. And you know, maybe three people say, okay, I'll help you move. And if one of those faithful people says that they'll help you move, you might think, well, two of those people might not make it on that day. Something might come up. But I know this girl, I know this guy, 
they're going to show up with the truck and they will be there because they're faithful. And that's a good thing. Jesus commends that, their faithfulness. He says, I know your patience. Um, uh, <laughs> in my family, I'm not known. That's not my reputation. Okay, I'm not patient guy. Um, I want to be more like that. It, it's hard. Jesus gives me trials to, to you know, teach me patience. He makes me wait to give me patience. But they were known for that. They were patient. And this is not other people saying this about them. This is Jesus saying this about them. So we know that it's accurate and we know that it's true. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. You're doing more things. Um, I just think about Mother Teresa. I think about some of the great things that um, in Calcutta, in India, that hopefully those things don't cease when she died, but those things continue. So this was a church that was doing just some wonderful, good, good things. But then Jesus says, nevertheless, and this is the longest correction of any of these churches in the book of Revelation. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. I want to look at the first thing that Jesus has against them. He, he says, because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. Now, just pausing here, who was this Jezebel? Now, we don't know for sure who she was, but she was an influential person. And the way that it's written is that it seems that she was a real person in the church of Thyatira. Okay? It probably wasn't her real name. It was probably Jesus calling her Jezebel. Because Jezebel in the Old Testament, we're going to find, was a very wicked woman. That would be like if you had a little, little kid, like, hey, Hitler, come here, you know, and like, you know, not a lot of friends. Um, it, it's, you know, one of those deals if you named your kid badly. And if your name is Jezebel, I'm sorry, your parents, you know, they probably didn't know this. And so, you know, it doesn't mean that your character and your character could be different. God doesn't see you as this Jezebel, hopefully. But, but this woman, you know, she was a, a Jezebel. Um, remember that as we looked at last week, Jesus, when he, he looks to the overcomers, he said, I will give you a new name. Well, the name that this woman who called herself a prophetess, Jesus chose for her the name Jezebel. It doesn't say that she was a prophetess. She wasn't an official um, person that God had anointed and said, you're going to be a prophetess. But she called herself that. We have to be super careful when people call themselves that, right? Hi, I'm the prophet so-and-so. I was just talking to my buddy. He pastors a church in Utah, and, and someone came up to him and started giving him some, some different prophecies. And he goes, man, he goes, I was really skeptical. And I said, hey, if what they said doesn't come through, true, I said, throw a rock at them. You know, just like throw a rock. Um, okay, funny. Old Testament, that's what, that's what they did. They, they threw, this was a prophetess who said she was a prophet. Jezebel in, in the Old Testament was married to the king of Israel. His name was Ahab, okay? King Ahab. When she married him, she caused his heart. I mean, his heart was already not towards God. He wasn't a good king. But she caused him to go further and further away from the truth of God. Not only that, but she ruled as the queen with an iron fist so that the prophets were even afraid of speaking the truth of God's word. Okay, this is what this woman Jezebel did. She also introduced the worship of Baal, which is a god of prosperity, false god of prosperity. And then the Ashtoreth, which were um, the goddess of sexual immorality, sensuality. That's what Jezebel, Ahab's wife, introduced to Israel. And it caused the people of Israel to go astray. 
And what Jesus is saying is that there's a woman in your church that is doing the same thing that that Jezebel did in Israel to your church. She's having that kind of influence. And Jesus is not against her gender. He's against her teachings. Just to make that clear. He's not against her gender. He is against her teachings and what she is saying to lead people astray. Very influential. She also, um, this Jezebel we see, brought in uh, idolatry and sexual immorality. There was a mixing of things uh, of the church and the world. He says you tolerate false teaching. So this is, he says you tolerate Jezebel, but let me tell you what Jesus is saying that, that I have against you is that it's her teachings that you're tolerating. Now, their teachings, she taught them, it says, to teach to seduce my servants. So there's a seduction that happens in all false doctrine. Okay, in false doctrine, the seduction happens not so much by someone blatantly saying, oh, here's this new thing that you've never heard before, but by mixing truth with error. That's how seduction happens in theological thinking or, or our understanding of the worship of God. It's little parts of truth that are sprinkled in with little bits of lies. And so, so it sounds pretty good. And if you've ever talked to someone from a cult like that, it, it throws you off because they use the same vocabulary. They say, oh, I, I believe in Jesus. You say, oh, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian too. Really? Well, I believe in Jesus. Well, I believe in Jesus too. Well, I believe Jesus is the son of God. Well, I do too. But what do they mean by that? And what happens is there's this little mixing that starts to to take place. So the church of Thyatira, yes, they were doing good things, but no, their theology, their theology and their morals were bad. What we think and what we believe is important to Jesus. And there are churches that sometimes even do a better job than we do of showing love to a community, reaching out, um, just being involved with other people's lives. They, they, they do a great job of that. And I'm not saying not to do that. We should do that. We should be, like the church of Thyatira, increasing in those things. But Jesus says, I have this against you. And it was their belief system. Realize this, that belief in theology leads to action. So what we think about God, it, it, it really kind of dictates behavior as well. And if your behavior is such that it doesn't go along with the teachings of God and Jesus' teachings, you can find a church that will tell you exactly what you want to hear. They are all over the place. You could pick them the same way that you would, uh, the same way that you would pick um, a car with all of the conveniences um, just kind of curated to your own taste and, and what it feels like and what it does. You could find that. But Jesus would say, that's not, that's not my church. Okay, this is, remember we looked at last week what Jesus called a synagogue of Satan that they thought that they were doing a good thing and Jesus gave them a different name. No, you're a synagogue, but you're a synagogue of Satan. So this false teaching led to um, sexual immorality and idolatry. It says, you, you allow her to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. 
So the compromise that began to threaten the church of Pergamum, which we looked at last week, is now fully entrenched in Thyatira. Now it's an official doctrine, a part of the church. Now this is not too far-fetched, is it, from 2016? Because there are churches where immorality is entrenched in belief system now. It's not just allowed and tolerated, but it's, it's actually a part of doctrine now. I have a lot of friends that are going through painful, painful transition right now because the denomination that they were in moved away from the teachings of God's word and they had to decide, am I going to stay in this denomination and try to be a light from the inside or am I going to leave the denomination? And, and they struggled. And, and my friends that have gone through this, one of them, he tried to stay and they just booted him. He tried to stay and they gathered a meeting together of all of the church members, which he said when they showed up, 300 people showed up, and he said, I knew less than a third of them. But they were members, and they had been on the roll for years, and there was a vote as to whether or not they were going to you know, retain me as their pastor. So this is happening in Thyatira. It's now becoming this official thing where they're allowing Jezebel to seduce the servants, and then she teaches them to commit sexual immorality. And to eat things that are sacrificed to idols, idolatry. Now, with these trade guilds that were so entrenched in this city, they would have banquets. They would get, get together and they would have these banquets where they're eating food that is sacrificed um, knowingly to these idols. There would be uh, just sexual um, orgies that would take place as part of a religious ceremony. And... And imagine that that is your occupation. I'm just, a, you know, I'm just an electrician, you know, <laughs> or not an electrician. I'm sorry. They did not have electricity. Okay, just so you get your history right. All right, I'm just a, I'm just a stonemaker. All right, I'm just a, just a stone worker, you know. But man, we're, we're to make these idols now, and now we're sacrificing idols. And as a Christian, you had to decide because this is my occupation. This is all I know. This is how I feed my family. In fact, I was taught this by my grandfather and my dad, and now it's been handed down as a family business. If I leave this, I'm leaving my family members. I'm leaving my social structure. I'm leaving my friends. Notice that for the church in Thyatira, that there was a cost that was involved in them being obedient to true worship of God. So this was a pressure, a pressure that was stronger than a fraternity hazing. This was a pressure that was stronger than a, a sports team. It was, it was stronger than the unions of Jimmy Hoffa. This was a, um, a thing that if you left this guild, which is, is kind of crazy when you think about people that leave cults, right? They leave their family. And it is tough, and we should be sensitive to that. Because if they were born into it, that's all they know. It's all they know. But Jesus is talking to the church in Thyatira, and he's saying, you know what your problem is? You allow these things to happen. You tolerate these things within the church. He's, Jesus is not addressing the city of Thyatira. Okay? He's addressing the church of Thyatira. And sometimes we make a mistake when we take the teachings of Jesus and we take scripture and we try to expect our cities to just know these things inherently and we get mad and we could yell at them and we could be angry at them. But they, they're not, they don't know any better. But judgment begins in the house of God. 
judgment begins with us to look at ourselves. And every time we read Revelation 2 and 3, we should run our own lives and our church through the filter of what Jesus says about the churches here. So false doctrine started to come in during uh, this time. And, and there have been so many false doctrines that have come in in church history. Church history is fascinating, encouraging, and it's also very sad. When you find out that they had indulgences to get people out of purgatory. Listen to this. This is a, a part of church history that's kind of crazy. The, the church would sell indulgences to people so that they could have prayers that were offered um, for them and their loved ones. And they were now selling indulgences for money. And they went so far at times to know, like, if I was going to do something on a Friday night, and I was just going to go sin in any way that I wanted to, and I knew that it was against God's word, but I'm going to do it anyway, they would go to the church, and they would say, hey, could you cover me for tonight? And they would be prayed for, and they would pay a fee for that, so they could go out and do whatever they want, but there was someone interceding for them. False doctrine. There's crazy stuff. Don't trust anything, not anything, don't trust, don't trust everything on the internet. You know, don't trust everything that you see on cable TV because someone has their own show, all right? So Jesus, Jezebel was powerful. In verse 21, I want you to notice how patient he is. Jesus says, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. Jesus, who has eyes of fire, he sees all, who has feet of brass is immovable. He gave her time, but she did not repent. But there will be a time when there will be no more time. There will be a time when there will be no more time. And you know what? That speaks to me and you today. Because when it comes to compromise and it comes to a Christian allowing sin into their lives or someone that is not a Christian trying to make the decision whether or not to follow Christ, there will be a time when there's no more time. And in that time limit that Jesus gives to her, he says, hey, I gave her time to repent and she did not repent. What is God's will? That all would come to repentance. God's desire is that we would all turn to him. So when he says, I gave you time, the time is a gift. And if you have time today, if you're here this morning and you're struggling with, you know something is out of bounds, outside of God's will, or maybe you're deciding whether or not you want to ask Jesus to accept you and to surrender to him, know that he's given you time. And take advantage, don't procrastinate when it comes to spiritual things. Now he gives his motivation for action in verse 22. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Jesus would cast Jezebel from a bed of adultery into a sick bed. Now, this is both literal and or figurative. If it's literal, it's speaking of sexually transmitted disease, which it could be. It's also figurative because in the Old Testament, the language that God says when you commit adultery is that you're committing spiritual adultery. God likens idolatry, worship of false gods, doing my own thing, he likens it to spiritual adultery. And the nation of Israel, when they went away from God and started worshiping idols, God spoke to them as, um, as they were committing adultery. The consequence is he said, I will cast them into tribulation. 
possibly the great tribulation, but it's also tribulation in their life and time. So Jesus says, hey, if you don't repent of this, I will cast you into this great tribulation. We'll get into what the great tribulation is in later chapters in the book of Revelation. In verse 23, I will kill her with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now, I know this language is, it just sounds crazy. It just sounds intense. If this is your first message here, okay, listen to the context of this. And listen to the context of the greater teachings of scripture and go online and listen to the other messages. But as we declare God's word, Jesus who is full of grace and truth doesn't soften the blow. And I think that's important for us. I just, I think if I am going to follow something that is true, I would know, in, I personally, that it would be a sham if I'm following something and everything agrees with me. And anytime something doesn't agree with me, we could edit that out. Let me just cut that out. I don't like that part. Take it out. Okay? But when Jesus speaks, remember that this is his word. Now, I will kill her children with death. The fruit of false doctrine and aberrant theology was the offspring of new converts to her way. Okay, let me repeat that. The fruit of false doctrine and her aberrant theology was the offspring of new converts to her way. Here in San Francisco in the Bay Area, um, before I lived up here, um, I wasn't old enough to remember other than like news flashes when I was a kid of something called the Guyana cult which was based here in, in San Francisco and also in Los Angeles, and it was called the People's Temple. And the People's Temple was doing a great work as far as racial reconciliation and, and just this outreach to the community, so much so that even Congress people and senators were coming to visit the People's Temple. And then this guy named Jim Jones just went off the boards and went, went crazy. And what you find out that happened is that they drank the Kool-Aid. Okay, they drank the Kool-Aid, they drank the punch in Guyana, and all of the people that were followers, they died, and they, they, they drank a poison. Okay, whether that they were deceived or whether they knew that they were doing this. The fruit of the offspring of false doctrine is, is death. I think about L. Ron Hubbard and the Church of Scientology. There's the fruit of false teaching, which is offspring. And the fruit of that offspring will eventually bring death. It will bring a spiritual death. Now, look at what it says when Jesus says, I will kill her children with death. You know, growing up as a kid, it's kind of funny that we did this as children, but I used to play the game Clue, and I would try to find out how the murder happened. And here I am, you know, suggesting, I think it was with a candlestick or a lead pipe, you know, or a revolver and like all these ways, you know, I, you know, I think it was Mr. Green in the library with a, a lead pipe. You know, that's how I would guess. But Jesus here is saying this. He said, I will kill them with death. And what does that mean? I really believe that he's speaking of what it says later in Revelation twenty fourteen. It says, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So there are many consequences to false doctrine, but the greatest of them is separation from God for eternity. The doctrine of hell. This is the greatest of all of the consequences. And I think what Jesus is saying is that that there are, 
there are just absolutely crucial, critical things about belief and doctrine that could lead to the worst possible consequence. Now, maybe you could think, and maybe this church is saying, hey, didn't we do a lot of good stuff, though? Like, weren't we doing good works, service in the community, feeding the poor, maybe helping out with, with people that were disenfranchised? Weren't we doing good things? But realize that good works don't save us. Good works could be good works, but they're not necessarily, the, they're not the things that save. So, question, wasn't Jezebel prosperous in Thyatira? Absolutely. But know this, prosperity doesn't mean necessarily that it's true and God's blessing. Satan could be, in a sense, empowering. And there are many false teachers, many political leaders that could be very wealthy and have a lot of power and yet be totally off the rails when it comes to doctrine and theology or who God is. So, verse 24, now I say to you, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. So the main thing, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not giving you any other burden, but just be true to my word. And be careful from this hidden knowledge. They call it the depths of Satan. They were, they were like these deeper... If anyone comes to you, including myself, saying, hey, you know what? No one else can interpret this book. There's a section of this book that God gave to me. You could only stand, understand it if I tell you what it says. Run for the hills, okay? Just get out of here and like leave and tell everyone about it. So they had this, the depths of Satan, this, this kind of this secret, you know, society type of deal. Verse 25, he says, but hold fast what you have till I come. He who overcomes and keeps my word until the end to him, I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels as I also have received from my father. Jesus is saying, hold fast till I come. The second advent of Christ, the second coming of Christ, the millennial reign will reign with Jesus in his kingdom. And in his kingdom, he'll never be voted out of office. He won't be fundraising with false motives. Jesus is benevolent and just. He's not one or the other. He is both and benevolent and just. In verse 28, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So Jesus offers them a reward that is greater than the kingdom. It says in Revelation twenty-two sixteen that Jesus is the morning star. So what is the reward? Jesus says, your reward is me. It is not just my kingdom. It's me, myself, are the presence of fellowship, of communion, of knowing him. It's Jesus in our lives. Now, this morning, um, the question that is asked there, you know, it says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Will we hear what Jesus is saying to the churches? It's so very important for our applications here, not only at regeneration, but to every church body. So when we consider um, this word, let's see if I could go back. Could I go back to Mr. Montoya on there? I think I bypassed him. Uh, maybe you know Inigo Montoya. Um, I, 
if you do, then you know the, there's a movie called Princess Bride. And uh, he, he says, you know, the, the guy keeps saying, inconceivable. And he's like, uh, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. The word tolerance, sometimes when you talk to people, they could use that word, but I do not think what they know what it means, okay? Because it has a different meaning. I'm just going to show really quick, if we could bring down the lights, real quick video clip that, that kind of will illustrate this for us. In the world of religion, take it too seriously. Is that part of the problem? I think we should take Jesus seriously. We should take the Bible seriously. Probably shouldn't take ourselves nearly as seriously, and that's how I approach it. Do you think you're a tolerant kind of guy? I love people very much, and it's. it's that's not the same thing. It, well, it's how do you disagree sometimes with people that you love? That's that's a very difficult issue for everybody, but for a pastor in particular. Because you preach tolerance. I preach that we should love our neighbor, that we should accept the tol- Tolerance in particular. You keep hammering it. What, what do you mean by tolerance? Tolerating people who may have a lifestyle or a belief that you don't agree with. Yeah, we have to. And that's when Jesus says, love your neighbor, um, you know, he knows you're not going to agree with all your neighbors, but he wants you to love them, to seek good for them, to care for them. So what, what did you make of the whole Kirk kind? Cameron uh, um, scandal, as it's become, where he, you know, for 15 minutes here, he sat here espousing what I think he thought were perfectly normal mm-hmm. Christian views, but he did it in a way that people saw as really very bigoted to all gays. Mm-hmm. What did you think of that? To be honest with you, I haven't seen the whole thing. So I, you know what he said? I, I, I saw some of the mm-hmm. Twitter and you know some of the blogging and stuff, but that's not always the best snapshot of the full context of the conversation. Um, so I, I don't know, well, to be I, honest I, with you. Okay, I mean, do you think that homosexuality is a sin? The Bible says on six occasions... What, what do you think? I believe that all sex outside of heterosexual marriage, so me as a teenager having sex before marriage, that was wrong. People looking at pornography is wrong. Single people having sex is wrong. Homosexuality is wrong. So there's a long list of things that the Bible says Given that eight states in America now have legalized gay marriage, Mm -hmm. that's fine, right? Well, no. I mean, it's amazing because there were anti-sodomy laws and anti-fornication laws on the books just a few generations ago. But no one's taking much account of the anti-fornication laws. Yeah, I, d- I don't want to be the one to enforce those laws or no, go around. But my point you know, is, it, you know, the, the Bible is what it is. It's an, an extraordinary book which has right. governed people's moral and personal behavior now for thousands of, thousands years. of years. However, right. like everything in life, shouldn't it be dragged kicking and screaming into each modern era and, and be adapted like the American Constitution? Yeah. Because you know, my, my view about this is, is not that I don't respect Christians or Catholics or whoever who, who absolutely swear by every word in here. It's just that I just don't believe anyone who's genuinely Christian should be spouting bigoted opinions about sections of the community for their sexuality. Well, I think when it comes to the Bible, you've got three options. Take it, I believe what it says. Leave it, I don't believe what it says. Or change it. Or adapt, or adapt the Which would be the change for a modern era. would be the changing of it. That's exactly what, for example, Thomas Jefferson did. He literally sat down yeah. in the White House with scissors and cut the parts out that he didn't feel should be in there. All right. So, can of worms this morning. Um, but you think about that. Notice that um, Pierce Morgan, who's a, a journalist, to me didn't seem super tolerant. Right, he didn't seem like super open. It was like you know, just like pushing, pushing, pushing. Now, one of the things that when it comes to this new tolerance, I need to explain some of these things that are very important. The virtue of this new tolerance is that whatever anyone says is just as equal to what another person says. But let me give you what I see as tolerance historically. 
tolerance, which we should still have as Christians, should be this. We put up with other people who have different opinions and we love them anyway. Okay, that's, that's tolerant. There's no inquisition here. There's, there's not a, anything that's forced. It is not gonna, it's not gonna work, okay? But it doesn't mean that I take God's word and change it according to the, the wind, wherever direction it's blowing today. Wherever the popular opinion is going, wherever the majority of people think, I'm gonna change it. See, remember he said there's three options. We could reject God's word, okay? We could receive it as God's word, or we could change God's word. And, and Pierce Morgan is like, yeah, yeah, adapt. We need to adapt. He's like, no, that's change, okay? You're, you're changing it. it. It is important that when it comes to tolerance, you know, um, there was a, an article that, that someone was conveying to me, and, and she said uh, there was a, a journalist, and it was very interesting because it was a journalist realizing the hypocrisy of her own movement, which was, you know, this agnostic movement. And, and what she was saying was this. She asked a friend of hers, are you tolerant? Her friend said, of course, of course I'm tolerant. And she said, okay, if, if you uh, know people, do you have any friends, you know, living alternative lifestyles? She's like, of course I have friends living alternative lifestyles. And she said, okay, would, would you hire them? And she said, of course I would hire them. And then she said, what about an evangelical Christian? Would you hire an evangelical Christian? And she said, of course not. And she said, and this is, this is interesting because it, it's written by someone that is antithetical to my belief system, but she said this. She said, the definition of tolerance is that we tolerate people that are different than us, not the same as. So what she was calling out is she was calling out her own community that is not believers in Christ to say we should be tolerant of Christians that have other views because that's the definition of tolerance, right? Doesn't that make sense? So when we as Christians have, we are in a culture with, it, it is such a diverse and it is, it, and I love the diversity in our culture, parts of it. But there are other things that I know that are antithetical against what God teaches and how should I respond to those people? I should love them. How should I respond to them? I should realize that they are not going to have the same belief system as me if they don't know Christ and hold to his word. Remember this, it's God's universe. If you don't like God's laws, get your own universe. Okay, that's what J. Vernon McGee said. He said, God has laws. You might not like his laws. You might not like his universe. Get your own universe, is what J. Vernon McGee said. But we need to speak the truth in love. Now, I say this with all sincerity and as much and, and sensitivity towards there is so much sexual brokenness in our culture today. There are so many people that have been abused. There are so many people that because of, of the way that someone treated me, I'm now going to change how I view that whole gender because of rape or molestation. Sometimes just because of the way that feelings are. Now, understand this. When it comes to feelings, all of us have different feelings that may or not be biblical. I can't judge someone else's feelings as worse than my feelings when sometimes my feelings are not biblical also. So someone that is tempted with heterosexual sexuality or someone that is tempted with homosexuality, those are both temptations that both um, 
outside of God's design, which he wants to bless the sexual union in marriage, outside of that is brokenness. And I can't hold my heterosexual temptation as looking down on someone else that has a homosexual temptation. Does that make sense? So we just have to be very careful of that. We're all tempted to sin. So we need to speak the truth in love, but we still need to speak the truth. We still need to do it with sensitivity. We should never offend anyone needlessly, but realize that people will be offended. I could be offended by the words of Christ. Jesus is called a stumbling block, but we must speak the truth in love to unbelievers, people that don't know the Lord, and also to those within the church that are ensnared in sin, to speak the truth in love. It's not enough to say, well, you know, that is, that is a private thing. Because in the body of Christ, realize that he has called us to, to sharpen one another. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says, don't neglect, don't forsake the gathering together. Because what will that do? It will teach us, it will sharpen us, it will change us, it will exhort us, it will encourage us. Jesus exemplified this. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Do you remember the woman at the well? Jesus says, hey, give me a drink of water. She says, um, you know, and then Jesus talks about this living water and she wants this living water. And then she says, give me this living water. Jesus talks about it and he says, go call your husband. She says, I I don't have a husband. And he said, you've rightly said you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands and the man that you're with now is not your husband. What was Jesus doing? He was loving her by addressing this brokenness in her life. If you want that living water, if you want that vibrant relationship, if you want life flowing um, relationship with Christ, then you have to deal with some of these things that will hinder that. And so again, whatever your, your background is, whatever you have gone through, Jesus is full of grace and truth. Remember in Titus, it says that he saved us not because of works that we have done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's the gospel. So when it comes to sinful lifestyles, which... I'll tell you, greedy people don't get called out on their greed. Does that make sense? We have acceptable sins in the body of Christ. We need to be really careful. Angry people don't necessarily get called out on their anger. Someone that is struggling with pornography in private, you know, and and on their own, and they're dealing with this, we need to be sensitive that, hey, we we can't ignore those things, but we can't say, well, here's certain sins that we're going to champion and other sins that we're going to go silent on. We have to hold to God's word who is full of grace and truth. That's why teaching through the Bible is so important for me. Because if I were not teaching through the word of God, just line by line, verse by verse, there's parts I'm gonna skip. Because, you know, I don't want people mad at me. All right? I I I don't need that. But if I love Jesus and I love you, then I have to give that full counsel of God's word even for myself and to realize that the Holy Spirit will reveal blind spots. But let me tell you who else will. Other Christians will, in love. I hope and pray, one of the things that we want to do as a body, we're praying like, Lord, help us to build strong enough relationships so that we could speak the truth in love 
And we just don't write someone off the, the second someone says something contrary to how we're feeling on that day. We, we need to be stronger than that. We need to be vibrant so that there's something that is different than the world. I mean, if that's how people deal with conflict outside of this place, there should be something different inside of this place in how we deal with these things. And there will be a cost. For the people in Thyatira, it was a financial cost, just like it will be if you hold to your conviction, you may lose contracts, you may lose customers, you may miss the promotion. At times, you might even get fired. So, but we need to speak the truth in love. The highest cost is relational. The highest cost is when friends and family who disagree may get angry. Our motive must be love for people and for Jesus and what he's done. And realize, Lord, please help me to show them your love and to speak your truth to them. But help me to love them so much that like Martin Luther King during the civil rights movement, that people can be coming against him and his heart is still showing love towards them. Like we, we need to do that. Jesus calls us to do that. That's who Jesus is. That's what he did. That is compelling. That is so much more compelling than my arguments. That is so much more compelling than my yelling or my, you know, trying to, trying to like overcome them. Now, speak the truth, but speak it in love. Just two last things, and then, then I'm going to close. Belief leads to behavior. Bad theology, from bad theology flows sinful actions. People will change their theology based on the sinful lifestyle that they want to follow. So if I want to follow this lifestyle, like I said, I will be able to find the church that I could customize to my own sinful lifestyle. But if I want to be true and honest to God's word, I need to realize that at times, hey, if my sinful behavior is different than God, close with this, when I disagree with God, I need to repent. When I disagree with God, I need to repent. It is not God who needs to amend his ways. It is not God who needs to change to my opinion. And when I come head to head with God and I realize this is a difficult thing, this is tough, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with forgiving someone. I'm struggling with allowing God to rule over my life. I'm struggling with giving up control and I'm disagreeing with him in this area of my life. I need to repent and that's a gift. That's a gift. So this morning as I pray, I'm just gonna invite you to pray along with me. When I pray, don't, don't just bow your head and close your eyes while I speak words. Jesus, who has the eyes of fire, he sees our hearts. If you don't know the Lord, ask him to receive you. Surrender to him. Just surrender. I, I think sometimes we get it backward where we say, I accepted Jesus, because sometimes that could even be on my terms. But I'm praying, Jesus, accept me, a sinner. Accept me. Because I have, I've failed. I've rebelled against you. Within my heart is wickedness. Within my heart is jealousy. Within my heart is pride. Within my heart is, is hatred. Within my heart you know, is rebellion towards you. God, receive me, forgive me. And then surrendering to him. That's what repentance is. And for Christians, for followers of Christ, this is not a message just for people that don't know Christ. I need to repent today myself. 
I can't repent for tomorrow. I could repent for right now. And so as I pray, I'm just going to lead us in this prayer and just asking the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, asking Jesus to meet with us and that he would receive us in that grace and love and mercy because he died for our sins. Let's pray. Father, we um, this morning have dealt with a text of Scripture that is admittedly a difficult text. Lord, it's difficult on many different levels. One of those levels is that there's a personal cost because, Lord, we love some people, absolutely love some people in our lives that we know are not living according to your word. They don't know you. And Lord, the temptation at times is to change our theology because we just love someone so much, want them to be happy, want them to to have a, a good life. But God, I pray that you would help us not to be deceived into thinking that real love is not speaking the truth. I pray that you would help us to be gracious because, Lord, you are gracious to us. And I want to pray first, if you've never received Christ and you've never asked him to receive you, that you would open up your heart and pray this with me. Jesus, receive me as I receive you. Jesus, fill me with your spirit. Jesus, come into my life. God, I pray that you would change me from the inside out. Help me to know that you love me. But help me, Lord, to come alongside of you and to comply with the things that you would desire, knowing that you want to bless me. In Jesus' name. Then for us as Christians, Father, we pray that we would not just see repentance as something that you're that other people do, but Lord, we want to repent. Father, I know that there are people that are struggling right now, maybe in silence, maybe because they're afraid. Lord, may we be such a gracious community that we could just be real with one another. Lord, for those that are just struggling with anger, Lord, those that are struggling with substance abuse, Lord, those that are struggling with pornography, Lord, those are just hanging on, just trying to to make it through a day and not give in to this temptation that is just tearing them apart lord we repent it's a good word for us lord we change we turn around and we look to you receive us forgive us cleanse us by your blood father we pray that you would minister to us now may we not only receive this in our lives but may we show the love of christ to others we pray this in jesus name amen